0: Be seated. Take your Bibles, and let's get right to it. The book of Revelation, the book of Revelation, chapter ten. And uh, as we are going through the book, our our main uh, scope here is the direction that we're doing is we're trying to establish the uh, line of action, the things that are going on in the book of Revelation. Uh, Not everything in the book is in an exact timeline, as as we will find out, but uh, uh, we will uh, study it and try to understand as clearly as we can. Of course, the best way to understand prophecy is when God tells you it's been fulfilled. Amen? Uh, There are many prophecies Uh, talking about Jesus and his first advent when he came and was born of Mary and died on the cross. There are many of those prophecies we would have no way of knowing except for the fact that the Bible tells us that these were prophecies and that these were fulfilled. The book of Revelation is a little different. It's telling us that these things are going to be happening, that uh, these are real events. But again, again, uh, it does not always explain to us. And again, we are getting what a man who lived in the first century saw. Now, when we look at things, one of our biggest problems with understanding history is that we read history not with a first century mindset, but with a 21st century. Our brains are put together one. We read the book of Revelation and it says all of the world uh, will behold the two witnesses lying in the streets of Jerusalem. What is the first thing that comes into your mind? Now, if you're younger, the first thing comes into your mind is a computer screen on the internet. If you're a little older like me, the first thing comes into your mind is a television screen. The cameras are there. They're broadcasting the signal all over the world. What would John have thought in the first century? You're right. He wouldn't have understood that at all. He wrote it down. You don't have to understand the prophecy to be used of God to write it down. Amen? And so many of the things in the book of Revelation are going to be descriptive, but we are getting a picture here as God is revealing this to John, and God chose John to show him these things. He certified it by his angel, and now, all these years later, we are reading the prophecies of the word of this book, and we can see and understand things like no generation before. But you know what? Every generation since John has said the same thing. I said, we can understand that, you know, no one in the first century could understand an army of 200 million people because there was barely 250 million people on the face of the earth at that time. In fact, in the late 1800s and early 1900s, a great wave of skepticism hit the world and people began saying, well, the Bible just, isn't, just doesn't speak the truth. And yet, in 1964, the nationalist, the communist Chinese government published that they had 200 million men enrolled in their home guard. Now, 1964, 68, it was was a little bit of time ago. There's a few more people on the face of the earth today than there was way, way back then, as my kids would say, but that's ancient history. And I said, you be careful about how ancient your history goes. Amen? Uh, 1968 was a wonderful year. I remember some of it. And uh, as I was a little boy. But uh, let's uh, get into chapter 10 here. And we are now going to enter our second pause. If you will remember, chapter 8 was a pause in the action then chapter 9, we had the, two, uh, the first two woes. The second woe doesn't officially end until 11.14, but between chapter 10 and verse 1, in about uh, three or four verses into chapter 11, uh, we have a pause and we have an explanation of things that are going to happen. And then we come down uh, toward the end of chapter, uh, the middle actually of chapter 11, verses 12, 13, 14 are the events that finish the second woe. The third woe doesn't, the trumpet sounds in verse 15 of chapter 11, but the events don't pick up all the way until chapters 15 and 16. Then again, we have another. Two chapters of explanation, 17 and 18. Chapter 19 finishes the action, and chapter 20 then gives us the end of all things uh, as, as we will know them. The last two chapters of the book of Revelation describe the new Jerusalem and then ends with a charge. We are not to mess with the words of the book. And we're to pray that Jesus comes back quickly. Now, people say, but that was written almost 2,000 years ago. Yes, it was. But how many of you have ever heard the verse, a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day? So it hadn't been very long in God's time period, though it seems exceeding long in ours. And so as we come into this pause, God is going to teach us some things, I believe, in chapter 10. And let's just read the chapter, and and, uh, I hope we'll get at least through this. Uh, I'm hoping to finish the whole chapter tonight here. It says, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea, and his left foot upon the earth, and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write... And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered and write them not. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven and swear by him that liveth forever and ever who created heaven and the things that therein are and the earth and the things that therein are and the sea and the things that that are therein which are therein, that there should be time no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again, and said, Go, and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel, which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth, And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many people and nations and tongues and kings. Now, as we look at this chapter here, we need to be reminded of one thing. The context of the book of Revelation is not all the fantastic things that are going to happen in the book of Revelation. It's not the the third of the fresh water supply of the earth being polluted and people killed by a, a star called Wormwood that falls upon them and a third uh, all the green grass burned up and a third of the life in the sea destroyed all at, all at one time, it seems. And, and we would read those events. And if you'll remember, the second woe was a year, a month, a day, and an hour and one-third of the world's population was going to be wiped out by this army of 200 million men. Now, that is just terrifying thoughts. And it's easy for us to just get wrapped up in the fantastic events, and for years and years, people said, nothing like that could ever happen. We don't know how it could be. Does anybody question that today? I mean, we have men sitting in rooms right now that could press buttons and destroy every major city on the face of this earth. Those are the things we possess and we built. When God's judgment starts kicking in, let me tell you something, that's going to be child's play compared to what God has in store. But don't get wrapped up in that because the book of Revelation is... The revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible does not tell us the identity of this angel. But let's look at the description. He is clothed with a cloud. Now, that's an interesting picture, is it not? Uh, Clouds and God go way back. And all the prophecies, when Jesus returns, he's going to return in the clouds of glory. The next thing we see is a rainbow was upon his head. How many of you remember the references? John looked at him that sat upon the throne. There was a rainbow round about the throne, like in sight unto an emerald. And I have no idea other than the vivid clarity of an emerald Uh, that that rainbow was just bright, not faded like most of the ones we see here on earth. It says his face was as it were the sun. In Revelation chapter 1, some of the references are here, his hair was white like wool and his eyes were as a flame of fire. If you remember the story of the transfiguration, it says that Jesus was changed before his before the disciples, and his countenance was made like unto the sun. His feet were as pillars of fire. In Revelation chapter 1, talking about the Lord, his feet were as brass that burned in a furnace. It was that glowing heat, uh, that brightness that metal takes just before it melts. That was the appearance. And in his hand is a little book. Now, people have made a lot about this little book, the commentators and things. They say, well, it's a little book. It can't possibly be the same book that he took out of the hand of him that sat upon the throne. But let me ask you a question. What has the book of Revelation been about since Revelation chapter 5? It's been about the book in the hand of him that sat upon the throne. All of these events that have gone on, these great cataclysmic events, have been attached to the breaking of the seals or the bindings of the book. that kept it closed so that no one could look upon it. Now the book is open. And it is in the hand of this mighty angel. If the angel is the Lord Jesus Christ, and the description certainly fits... Then the book has to be the seven sealed book now open. What was in the book? It's God's judgment. Aren't you glad the book of God's judgment is shorter than the book of God's mercy and His grace? I mean, that's what the theme of the book is about. He has a voice, a loud voice, as when a lion roareth. In chapter 1, verse 10, it says Jesus had a loud voice as if it were a trumpet. And in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 5, it says that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, they tell us, those that are supposed to know about this, that when a lion in the wild roars, one of them big African lions, that you can hear the roar two miles away. I mean, that's something that I, I just can't comprehend. Two, two miles away. That would be somebody shouting in the middle of Manhattan Island and hearing it over here in Astoria. Uh, That doesn't quite seem right now, does it? I mean, that is a lot of noise. And here is the uh, picture here. And as he is holding this little book open, he sets his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth. Now, it's interesting. If you tried that, your left foot would be in the sea. ...and on the earth. Isn't that correct? But his foot is on the sea. Now, other than the Apostle Peter, there's only one other person that walked on water. Amen? And that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He stood on this. And by the way, when we get to the next pause, as we get chapter 13... We're going to find out in verse 1 that the beast, or the Antichrist, rises up out of the sea. His foot is upon the sea. The false prophet rises up out of the earth. His foot is upon the earth. This angel is proclaiming dominion over everything that makes up our world. And as he cries with this loud voice, seven thunders utter their voices. And of course, as we've been going through the book of Revelation, we get into chapter 4. If you'll remember, there were lightnings and thunderings proceeding out of the throne of God. And when the mighty angel in verse, in chapter 8, cast the embers from off the altar of incense, there again, there were lightnings and thunders and These thunders said something. They spoke. John understood what they spoke to the point that he was about to write down what the thunders had uttered, and God spoke to him out of heaven and said, Don't write it. Seal it up. Now, if you're ever flipping through TBN or any of these uh, television guys or whatever, and they'll say, and you hear someone start talking about what the thunders uttered, turn them off because there is absolutely no way anyone can know what these thunders said. If you find anybody trying to tell you that, mark them off because they are sealed. John heard them. He sealed it up. He didn't write it down. Therefore, we have no record. And by the way, there is no way to figure it out. Now, there's something that will just take a a moment here and grab an application, there are some things that God just does not want you to know. And you know what happens? When God withholds some information from us, what do we try to do? We try to figure it out now, don't we? We expend great amounts of energy trying to figure out the things that God doesn't tell us while at the very same time, we are not doing the things that God has told us to do. Isn't that human nature? Uh, God does not always give us everything that we want to know. If he did, it would scare you to death. Amen? Amen. How many of you, if you would have known everything that would have happened to you since you became a Christian? Aren't you glad that God just withheld some of that stuff? Remember, one preacher was preaching, or somebody was. He said, if I knew where I was going to die, he said, I just wouldn't go there. Doesn't work that way. God withholds stuff for, uh, from us from a perp- for a purpose. Maybe that information would be the mystery that would unlock the door to us understanding all the things we don't understand about the book of Revelation. I kind of have a feeling that those voices explained an awful lot of things. And God says, I'm not going to let you know. Not until the time that it is there. And so he sealed them up. God doesn't want us to have this information. And then we see this mighty angel doing something. He is standing upon the sea, upon the earth, and he lifts up his hand to heaven, and he swears or gives an oath. Now look at this oath in verse 6. Number one, by him that liveth forever and ever. He is swearing by the eternity Of God. He is swearing by the power of God that He is the creator of heaven and all the things that therein are, and the earth and all the things that therein are, and the sea and all the things which are therein. Then we come to this next phrase, which is one of great controversy that there should be time no longer. Now, many people, as they've gone through this passage in the past, they said, oh, there's the answer. There's not going to be any more time. God is going to remove the working of time. Well, there's only one problem. Uh, We just read about in chapter 9 that there's going to be a year, a month, a week, a day, and an hour. Well, if there's not going to be time anymore... Either that all has to be fulfilled or uh, before, or nobody's going to know how it gets fulfilled. By the way, the tribulation period in itself is divided up into two periods of 1260 days. If God were suspending days, then we would have other problems now, wouldn't we? And so many of the commentaries I read said that Oh, this is just so poorly translated in the King James Bible. Well, wait a minute. We already understand that it's not talking about the erasure of time. And we look at verse 7, and you'll remember the Bible is its own commentary. The Bible explains to us the things that God wants us to say. Understand, look at verse 7. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. It's amazing, they go into the Greek, and they go into the corrupt manuscripts, and they go into all of these reasons, that it should be there is no more delay. But that there should be time no longer, does that not mean... We're going to stop waiting. It's over. These things are going to happen immediately. That's simply what it means. And verse 7 confirms that. Don't change the words of your Bible. Get into the text and understand that the message is already there as clear as a bell in your King James Bible because if you understand one passage of Scripture to contradict another, you're just simply wrong. And that's what we've been going through on Sunday nights, is how to understand your Bible. And so here we have, and people have question, how could this be Jesus Christ swearing by God the Father? And yet, let me just, I didn't put this reference in your outline, but let's just go to... Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we'll start reading in verse 23. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming, then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet, and the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet, but when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted which did put all things under him, and when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. How many of you saw the comparison between here and the book of Revelation? If you did, raise your hand. If you didn't, let's go back and spend some time getting it. Are we together? Yes? No? I see one going no. Anybody else? Hello? Am I putting you all to sleep? Okay. Let's just look at this. This is talking about the order of the resurrection. Even so in Christ, verse 22, shall all be made alive. There's going to be an order to this life. Christ is the first fruits. He rose, resurrected from the dead the third morning. Afterwards, they that are Christ at his coming. Then cometh the end and he will have delivered up the kingdom to God. This is when all is going to be finished. He is going to reign until all enemies are put under his feet, under Jesus' feet. The last enemy that is destroyed shall be death. When Christ turns the kingdom over to the Father... He is saying everything is going to be put under Christ's feet except Christ himself. That's why he's standing on the sea and on the earth, and he is swearing by the Father, by God, that time is going to be no longer, that when this seventh angel begins to sound, everything is going to be fulfilled. By the way, it says the angel is beginning to sound this judgment, as with the others, has a time period involved in it. It is not going to be just instantaneous in a moment. It is going to happen over a period of time. Uh, the first seals that were removed it easily very uh, months, maybe even uh, a period over a year. We're not 100% sure. But here's what's going to happen. Let's look there in verse 7. Number one, the mystery of God should be finished. You know what, right now, we look at the book of Revelation and how many times have we said, well, it could be this, but it could be that. But God will get it done and it will look like John described it. How he gets it done, we just don't know. I mean, we've been over that several times, have we not? Well, when we get to this point... Nobody's going to be standing around saying, "I wonder how God planned that to happen." We're going to know because we will see the fulfillment of these things. The mystery of God is going to be finished. Now look at this mystery that is being spoken about here as he had declared to his servants the prophets there are many prophecies in this book called the Bible. In fact, someone supposed to know said nearly one-third of our Bible was prophetic or foretelling future events when it was printed, when it was put down in writing. All of those things are going to be fulfilled in their time during this time period called The tribulation. And many people have tried to make something out of the tribulation. Many of the saints that were suffering under the oppression of the Roman Empire and later under tyrants of various kind have all tried to say, well, the tribulation is happening now. Uh, Let me tell you something. There's no time period in history that begins to compare to the events that are recorded here in the book of Revelation Uh, The best we can understand, somewhere between two-thirds and three-quarters of the world's population is going to be erased in less than seven years. We have six-plus billion people. That would be somewhere between three-and-a-half to four-and-a-half billion people dying in less than seven years. Let me tell you, that's a number that is impossible to comprehend in your mind. There are not enough graves to handle that. But it's going to happen. And so when this, the prophecies, God is going to take the book of Revelation and he's going to literally, as we might say, sew it up. He's going to put together all the loose ends, all of the unfinished prophecies. Everything is going to be fulfilled and made plain. And then one of the strangest requests in the Bible. And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me, verse 8, said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. Now, I'm not sure how you picture this in your mind, but when I see a mighty angel standing on the sea and on the earth, I'm thinking of something big. I'm, I'm thinking of an angel that uh, might be 10 or 12 stories high. I mean, that's just the way my mind works. Uh, mighty is translated as big uh, And I'm not saying that that's dogmatic. I'm just telling you the picture. And John is told to approach this angel and take the little book out of his hand. And so here we have little John toddling up to this great big angel and saying, Give me the book! Sounds like something Joey would do now, doesn't it? And the angel looks down at him. And again, we believe the angel is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said unto me, take it and eat it up. Now somebody said, How do you get baptised in the New Testament? Well, they eat just about anything. Amen. Here he's going to eat a book. I'm just joking. He's told to eat the little book in the hand of the mighty angel. And so, what does he do? I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up. People want to spiritualize everything. There's nothing to spiritualize here now, is there? He walks up, he's told to take the book. He walks up to the angel, he says, Give me the book. The angel gives him the book and says, Eat it. And so, he eats the book. And there is a description, I mean, there's told, it says, It shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And so John takes the book and eats it, and he reverses the order. He said, It was sweet as honey as I ate it. How many of you have ever had raw honey in the honeycomb? Do you know what that honeycomb is? It's beeswax. It's goo. But it tastes good when it's all saturated in honey, now doesn't it? So John ate that book, and I mean, it was just so sweet. And then all of a sudden, it hit bottom. Now there's a passage I want us to take just a moment and run over to in the book of Ezekiel chapter 3. This is not the first time a prophet was told to eat the word of God. Chapter 3 of the book of Ezekiel. Verse 1, Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, eat that thou findest, eat this roll, and go speak unto the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that roll. And he said unto me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat, and fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. Then did I eat it, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness." But skip on down to verse 14, I believe it is. Yes. So the Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in what? Bitterness in the heat of my spirit, but the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. So here we have a picture in Ezekiel. Ezekiel was sent to prophesy to the rebellious house of Israel who would not listen said, I want you to eat the roll. It's going to be sweet as honey in your mouth. Once it gets in there, it's going to be bitter. Now, how many of you found that true with the word of God? I mean, these are the actual words of Almighty God. How great is it that the creator God of the universe took time to communicate with you and I. How many of you have read the sweet story of salvation and how simple it is to trust in Jesus? But let me tell you something. When you trust in Jesus with your soul, you know what you're going to find out? You're going to find out there's some bitter things in life, isn't there? One of the most bitter is that people who don't trust in God don't make it to heaven. Is that not a bitter thought? What did Jesus tell the devil when he was tempted? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. His word is our spiritual food. Amen? Now, how many of you have ever eaten something that was just absolutely indigestible? I mean, you ate it, you felt it go down, you felt it lay there, and we won't go any further than that, but it's just not pleasant. Amen? Are we there? But how many of you have eaten something and you just knew that it was going to cause problems? I mean, it just set off that burning bitterness right all the way through your system. Listen, this is what happens. John was told, back in the book of Revelation here, back to chapter 10, verse 11 explains the mystery here, if there is such a thing about eating a book. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples, And nations and tongues and kings. Now, this is showing us that the time frame in the book of Revelation is not just mechanical. We are in the last part of the tribulation, there is only one woe left to be fulfilled. And John now sees this angel standing on the sea, not in it, on it, and on the earth. He is told to go to this angel, approach to him, take the book, and eat the book. And then he is told that he would prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Now, let me ask you a question. Has John prophesied to our church in the fact that we are reading the words of his prophecy and studying them here on Thursday nights? Let me tell you, he is, and he did. How are we going to get the message? You've got to assimilate the Word of God. How many of you have ever tried to tell a friend or a family member that they were a sinner? and under God's judgment. Have you ever had tried to do that? That's a pretty tough thing to do now, isn't it? Have you ever had somebody argue with you why would God judge anyone? And it's fairly bitter to explain to them. And Easter is coming up, Resurrection Sunday morning. The cross was bitter, was it not? But salvation is sweet. There are many things in the scripture. Heaven is sweet. But let me tell you something, hell is real. God is right. That means everyone else is wrong. You just can't have it your way. I'm sorry, it's got to be God's way. And it takes time to assimilate the words of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you can't understand God's word except the Holy Spirit is given freedom to minister to you. John was to take God's word, assimilate it in his life, and then preach it to the world in which we live. Does that sound strangely like uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20? Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, in Acts 1.8, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. You can't witness what isn't inside. My brother, youngest brother, called me up one time. It was actually, very early in the morning, he said, I got a problem. I said, what is it? He said, I've been trying to witness to one of my coworkers and tell him he needs to get saved. And every time I tell him he needs to get saved, he said, it feels like the Holy Spirit of God's telling me I need to get saved. He said, Pete, will you leave me to the Lord? He said, I need to get saved. And so... We we did that over the telephone. He was, I think, in Virginia at that time, and I was in Ohio. And uh, let me tell you something. The Lord wants to get the gospel out. But if it's not in you, you can't give it to somebody else. And let me tell you, as you already know, It's not all sweetness and honey. There's some very bitter things in the word of God. But let's look at one more verse. Let's go to the book of Lamentations. Some of you know this verse. You all know it once we read it. Yeah, Jeremiah, Lamentations... Verse 22 of chapter 3, Joshua—I mean uh, Jeremiah is writing, Jerusalem has been destroyed, the temple has been burned, the people have been dragged out in chains to the land of uh, Babylon. In verse 22, Joshua writes, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Verse 23. Great is thy faithfulness. And all God's people said, God's word, it's sweet, but it's bitter. But if you don't assimilate it, you can't take the message. Jesus is the one who is in charge. He has authority over all that is. And what we need to do is worry about, not worry, but spend our life getting his word out to the world in which we live. Amen? Let's pray.